What's up, everyone? It's your host, DJ Hamilton, and we got a special episode here today for you guys. Interview my first ever head coach. In this special interview, I'm interviewing Clinton College men's basketball coach of the Golden Bears, Corey Sloan. We get into his upbringing in Florida, how he became a coach, his career, and more on this great interview where he dived deep into my questions. He even and answered my questions better than I thought he would. So I really appreciate him coming on the show. And it was a great interview. And we had a great time. But continue to subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Google, Radio Public, Overcast, Anchor, wherever you, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Continue to check out the DJ Sports Show website. Become a member. It's free. And shout out the website to your family members, friends, co-workers, whoever likes sports. And also check out my merch at on my shop section of DJSportsShow.com where I have sweatshirts, hoodies, um, laptop sleeves, even drawstring bags, shorts, you name it. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode as I did myself. Without further ado, sit back, relax, plug those headphones in, whether you're driving in a car, on your way to work, or you're sitting at home relaxing and enjoy the show. Let's do it. What's up, Corey? Oh. How you doing, man? Good. You can hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. can hear me? All right, bet. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, man. How you doing, man? Just chilling, man. Man, I know you, I know you have a busy schedule, so I really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no problem, Joe. We we in our uh, championship week right now, just practicing and stuff. We got our first uh, semifinal game on uh, Friday. Oh, yeah. I know you can't wait to look. You're looking forward to that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like our, so that's what we, you know, that's what we've been going through five, six months for. So, mm-hmm. well, ladies and gentlemen, as your host DJ Hamilton, I'm here with Clinton College men's basketball coach of the Golden Bears, Corey Sloan, and it's an honor to have him on the show today. And I just want to thank him and appreciate him for coming on. Yeah, no problem. So, first question I always like to ask my guests, and you're the first first coach I'm ever doing and interviewing, is just to get people to know you a little bit. Where were you born and raised? Uh, born in Orlando, Florida, but raised in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, and how, how, how was where you were raised? How did it shape you into the person you are today? Um, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, I got both my parents that stayed together. They kind of instilled everything that I kind of do in me. Uh, just kind of the surroundings that I had very, very blessed upbringing, um, South Carolina is very, um, be very secluded at times. So nothing crazy. When I first moved to Greenville, it was a barely, uh, 50, 60,000 people in it. And now it's one of the largest cities in South Carolina. So I, I got out right when it got busy on, I like my, uh, you know, subtle life, not very high energy stuff. I like to keep that on the court. Okay. Oh, you're like a low key type of guy, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't even tell. Like, when I was looking at the picture, I was like, he looks young. How old are you, by the way? I'm 27. 
Oh, so oh, you're, yeah, you're young, man. You're in your 20s. Yeah. You're five years older than me. Yeah, I'm the uh, I'm the youngest current four year head coach in the country for basketball. Oh wow! Congrats, man. That's that's what's yeah. up. Appreciate it. So, when did you first start playing the game of basketball, and at what age did you develop a love for the game? Um, I think I started playing when I was about eight. It's like eight or nine. Um, I didn't really know too much how to play. I just just ran and ran and ran and just kind of my my thing was I got steals but could never finish the layups on the fast break. <laughs> so Ain't that, that was kind of my, being a little being that little kid just speedster running and just throwing it hard off the backboard. Um, <laughs> but I would say probably around sixth, seventh grade, probably be when I like fully dove into it, started playing AAU and stuff like that. So that was kind of when my whole full full circle of it kind of came about. And I was trying to look it up because I couldn't find what high school you went to and stuff. But if you mind, if you don't mind telling us, what AAU teams and what high school did you go to and play basketball for? Uh, I went to Eastside High School, which is like technically in Taylor, South Carolina, but it's right right in Greer, right on the outside of Greenville. Um, and then I played for played for a couple of AAU teams. Played for Celtic South, which I don't believe that they're a thing anymore. Um, and then I played for. Um, Oh, I can't even remember what the name of it was. Something Phenom. I can't. I can't even remember. The Celtic South was um, the last team that I played for. That was just kind of why I remember. That was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> foggy, foggy memory. Huh? Yeah, nothing crazy. You know, just uh, good memories with all the guys traveling to Florida and traveling Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and stuff like that. I think Tennessee as well. So it's. Good memories. It was a good experience. You know, some of the years my dad was assistant coach, so I got to kind of be with him and stuff like that. So it was fun. What were those like playing in high school in AAU? Was it fun? Did you enjoy it? Did you make a lot of good friends? So I had an interesting high school experience. I'm not going to lie. Like my freshman year, like we didn't have uh, at the time, you know, now in South Carolina, it's more of a popular thing to have a ninth grade team, a JV team, and a varsity team. Oh, yeah. Um, but when I was there, like ninth grade teams, like they didn't exist. Like a couple schools had C teams and, you know, they were those schools, you know, they had thousand plus people that went to them, you know, yeah. so we didn't really have that. So my ninth grade year, I really had to bust my ass to get on that team. I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest. Like there, there's only 15 spots and there was like, there was like 10 or 11 returners that were freshmen on the team last year. So like going into it, I basically knew there was only like five or six spots. Um, so I got, to, you know, did that barely played my freshman year. Um, and then sophomore year kind of turned around and started playing. Uh, and then junior year. No, actually, yeah, it was uh, the summer of my sophomore year and junior year, I believe like right in between between AAU, um, I went up for a layup and AAU came down. Guy kind of got underneath me. Uh, so I came down on my shoulder and I never really had too many injuries growing up, you know, like I had bruised and stuff like this, but I'd never really broken anything before. And my shoulder popped out like on the court and like, I didn't even really think twice about it. I didn't really do much. I just popped it back in. Like, like you see out of a movie. Oh, like, I just popped it back in on the court. And my dad was an assistant coach at the time. He subbed me out. And he kind of, like, looked at me. He's like, are you all good? And, like, my journal was going. So, I didn't realize what happened. 
I was like, what you mean? He's like, you just dislocated your shoulder and popped it back in. Um, That's crazy. And I was like, adrenaline flowing, huh? Yeah. Well, and then like the next day it popped out again. And then I kind of slowly came to realize like once it popped a couple times that like I could pop it like in and out of place, like, like on my own command, basically. So it it didn't hurt you at all. It, it would be like a, it would be more of like a bruising or like a, a numbing pain, not really a sharp pain. Um, the more I did it, obviously, the more it would wear down and it would hurt over time. Um, but it, it, it kind of started to, as the junior year went on, it kind of started to take a toll. And I, I think it was right before the junior year or right in the middle of the junior year happened. I went to the to see a specialist, basically, to see what was up. And I found out that um, I was <laughs> – found out that I'm like – it was like a crazy small decimal percentage, like a point zero 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 five or something like that. Um, that they said percent of people that I was basically born without a muscle in my right rotator cuff between like my arm and my shoulder. So I was born without a muscle there. So my shoulder, basically the two bones just rub together and that's what causes the dislocating. Um, so for that junior season, I tried to do physical therapy and that physical therapy was brutal. Like it's just, is just different because there's no muscle there. So you're trying to build up muscle. So, I mean, I was never, I could never bench press. I could never do like arm bars. I could never, basically anything that was like a heavy strain on the shoulder, I couldn't do. Yeah. Um, push-ups, I could do like five or 10 at a time, maybe. Um, but it would just put heavy pressure on the shoulder and they're just physical. It's, it physically was so weak that I just couldn't do it. Um, and then it would start to have that sharp pain the more that I did it because the bones would just be kind of like rubbing directly into each other. So, Senior year, decided not to play. Um, basically, the doc told me surgery or surgery, and you're out 13 months, or you continue to do physical therapy and hope that you grow a muscle. And I was like already over physical therapy because it was just, I just did not like it. Um, so I just stopped playing. Um, so I went through my whole senior year. Didn't even, I think I played like church ball that year. I still kind of played, but nothing crazy to where I'm not practicing once or twice a day. Um, and then like kind of going into that year, I was, you know, my mom, she was one of those parents, like, you know, by freshman year, sophomore year, high school, she was like, you know, you got to know where you're going, you know, like go, where are you going to school? What are you doing? Got to have a plan, 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 plan. Um, so I was like, you know, I still want to be involved with basketball, but I can't play like there's, you can't, you can't get recruited to go play basketball somewhere if you don't play basketball. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I got to figure out something else. And one of my dad's, close friends at the time um he was really close with one of the assistant coaches that was at Winthrop University which is in Rock Hill South Carolina right south of Charlotte um and he kind of was talking to him just kind of seeing what gauging and he kind of came back to my dad and was like well you know we got these things called like managers basically like student manager student assistant student coach you could look call it all kinds of different things and I was like, oh, yeah, like that would be pretty cool. So I was trying to decide between a couple schools. And since I already basically was told like, hey, if you come here, you know, as long as you do the right stuff and kind of fit in with everything, you can be a student manager here. Because um, I started I did stuff in the summer for them too, like leading up. So ended up doing that. And whew, let me tell you, man, I'd never I didn't expect anything like at all from it. I just expect because, again, you go from a high school especially South Carolina basketball, you know, it's South Carolina basketball is not, I'm trying to see how to say this without hurting anyone's feelings. Um, <laughs> it's not the most competitive um, on an average 
I'll say that. You know, obviously, there's definitely some schools in South Carolina that are very competitive, but you know, your average South Carolina team versus a lot of other states is not going to be able to compete at that level. So, jumping in from that to then college basketball at a D1 level was very, um, very eye awakening to say the least. Um, and then again, I didn't know what I was getting into as a manager wise because we didn't have any managers in my high school. Um, we just played, you know. So, uh, you know, I. Did that under Pat Kelsey, who's now the head coach at College of Charleston. Okay. And that was a probably like a it was an invaluable experience, you know. Like there's no you can't put a price tag on that experience that I got. Um it was I mean the hours that were put in, the blood, sweat, tears, like all three, you know, people use that quote, but when all three of those variables actually get added into the equation. It kind of creates something special, um, and you know it, that that's exactly what it was. It was something special. You know, I immediately was in with the group, and you're getting to travel to all these games. You're, I mean, you got to do stuff. You know, you got to pay your dues, but you get to go with the team. You get to eat with the team. You get gear. You know, it was it was a very crazy experience. But then it was a very, you know, drooling. If that's the right way to phrase it, like I mean the energy that it took to do it, you didn't really have time for much else. You know, I mean, it, it was, it, it, we joked around and said that it was sometimes harder to be a manager than it was to be a player just simply because of all the things that you had to do, you know? Um, and we took, we kind of took pride at Winthrop in being, you know, what we labeled as one of the, some of the best managers in the country for division one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, obviously our coaches are going to kind of say that, but we had coaches that knew a lot of other programs and they would say like, yo, you guys work harder than, you know, a majority of other programs, managers, and, you know, we're, we're an hour early to practice or an hour. We stay an hour late to practice. You have your laundry day, you know, you're making sure the players are, you're making sure you can cut out any preliminary problems that can get to the coach before they get to the coaches. Um, leave the serious problems to the coaches, but any type of, you know, Oh, I can't find my shoes. I need a pickup from here. I need a drop off. I need this. I need that. Like you're basically like catering to that. And you're kind of making sure that's your number one priority. So, you know, you're getting everything ready for practice. You're making sure nothing's missing. You're making sure the coaches aren't forgetting anything. Because um, that's kind of like you're like the first – you're like the infantry. You're like the first set of defense. You know, at the end of the day, you don't want it to get back to the chief, the core, the, the captain of the ship. So you're trying to make sure everything – everyone's on their P's and Q's. And then you got to go through the, the, the practice, you know. Because, you know, Pat Kelsey, man, I love him. He's intense to say the least. Um, and those practices would be crazy sometimes, you know, I'll never forget one time I was up in, I don't know if you've ever been to the Winter Coliseum before, huge Coliseum seats, like 6,500 gorgeous. Wow. Uh, well, where we film, um, and that was kind of where one of my main duties and I'll kind of get into that in a bit, but where we filmed was pretty, pretty high up. Right. I mean, we're very elevated up and I'm sitting up there, you know, we had, um, something called Exos Tech, which was basically a software that allowed us to clip and film practice. Um, so you'd be filming, and then you'd be clipping every single little, like you'd be clipping the drills, you'd be clipping sets, plays, you'd be clipping all kinds of stuff. So you'd have probably like 250 to 350 clips in a single practice. Um, wow. So I'm up there clipping, going crazy up there, and I just remember Pat looking up at, at it, and I don't know what was going on. Something happened. I think someone forgot something or some the clock. I think it was, maybe the clock went out because um, – and it's funny because now I can't stand it either. You know, you never want the clock to go off. 
Mm-hmm. Unless he says that he wants the clock to go off, you never want that clock to go off. The clock, obviously, the very beginning of practice will go off, but you know, drills, you're cutting it at like four seconds, you're cutting it at five seconds, you're cutting it at seven seconds. Um, and I guess one of the managers wasn't paying attention, talking to somebody, clock goes off in the middle of him talking. And he, <laughs> he starts yelling at them, and then he looks up at me, and he said, why don't you come on down here? And like we all had to run. Like the managers had to run. That's wild. In front of everyone. So that was, wow. you know, that, that's just like a, a snippet of, you know, we're already doing all this shit for free. Mm-hmm. But then like the expectations are, okay, well, this is, this is what we expect. And obviously you don't follow that. You know, you're going to be treated like everyone else. You don't get to be still. Um, so it was a very, very uh, intense experience. But I mean, I loved it. And it was three years of that. And again, my, the team I went there, but I was also blessed, you know, Pat Kelsey's phenomenal coach. Um, we got the first year lost in the big South championship, second year lost in the big South championship. Oof. And then the third year we ended up winning. So my yep. third, my junior year, I got to experience March madness for the first time as like a participant, not like a viewer. Um, yep. And that was my junior year. And I think at that time, myself and my other two managers that were also juniors, we were the highest um, age of managers, right? So we had the, we were the seniors basically without being seniors. So us three went on that trip and that was a very, was a very crazy trip. Um, just being able to go to Milwaukee, we played Butler, only ended up losing by like seven or eight is a great game. Um, oh, that's amazing. So it was, a, it was a crazy experience. Other than the snowstorm in Milwaukee that made it like 12, 11 degrees, and we didn't know it was snowing, so none of us really brought snow gear for it. It's like a last-minute thing, so I'm out in shorts, and the it was crazy. Um, but it was a very, very, very cool experience. Wow. And then my senior year, I ended up um, deciding I um, – my junior year, I was kind of mixing, kind of like playing both. I was, I was doing it at Winthrop, but then I was also doing a uh, volunteer high school position, just trying to get more experience, mm-hmm. learn a bunch of different things. Um, right. Well, then in my senior year, I got offered like an official position at the high school. Um, but the compliance director at Winthrop was basically like, hey, you got to choose one or the other because, you know, this is, this is going to be a conflict of interest. And so just for sake of experience, you know, I'd already done Winthrop for three years. I was like, let me, let me try this high school stuff for a year. So I ended up doing that was a ninth grade head coach that year. Then the next year I moved up to JV head coach um, or no, sorry. I did ninth grade for two years and then moved up to JV head coach the year after that. And then that year I was also associate head coach. And then the following year I was only varsity associate head coach. And then that year, our head coach retired, and you know we had had three very successful seasons. We had been a program that not really had been traditionally good, and you know we had turned the program around. We had went back to back twenty one seasons. we were making it to second round of playoffs basically every year. Uh, so I was like, man, like I, I should probably be at least in contention for this head job. You know, yeah. I'm not saying it should be mine, but I should at least you know, maybe the finalists and the high school didn't even interview me. Wow. Uh, they said it would have been a waste of time because of my age. Cause they couldn't see them hiring. 
someone for how old I am and for how, I guess, much inexperience I was, which I kind of laughed at at the time, especially now looking back at this, because then after that, I, COVID year, I went and my, my, my man that I'd known for a while, uh, D. Frazier, he asked me if, you know, I wanted to basically coach in college again. And I was like, man, I'll, I don't have any job right now. I can't sit here and say no. Like, of course I'll coach in college. So I did, went, I did Clinton for a year as just an assistant. Halfway through, I got bumped to associate. And then um, this year, I was associate. And I think it was about September, like September 7th or September 8th. Um, I get a call from him one night. And he's like, hey, man, like I just got a job offer from a D2. So I'm, I'm going to take that. So you're going to be in charge of everything. So a month before our first game, he dips out to Clark Atlanta for the associate head coaching job, and they make me interim for the year. So here we are. Wow. That, that's a great story, man. Whoa. Yeah. I, can, I can relate to you in some ways, like with the basketball, like having to prove yourself. Because I remember when I was in, in eighth grade, because I used to move a lot before my high school years. Eighth grade, I was in nine because I live here in New York. I had to prove that I could belong on the team. I was a new kid. Everybody was trying to know who I am, and I had to prove myself to the coach that I could play. And I was able to do that. And I ended up being one of the best players on the team. And we had a great season that year. And then same thing when I moved to Haverstraw, playing North Rockland High School, which is a big high school. And everybody was saying there's a lot of politics around here, Fieldstone, which was kind of true. And it made me kind of nervous for tryouts. But then I proved myself in the tryouts and I ended up playing all three, four years of high school on the North Rockland High School basketball team. JV, they had a freshman team too there, so I know what you mean. I feel like freshman JV and varsity has become more popular over the last couple of years, maybe because oh, we yeah. play basketball. Like, oh yeah, basketball. Yeah. Ba- the popularity of basketball has grown. Yeah, exponentially. Exponent. Yeah, tenfold in the past twenty years, fifteen years. So even even in the past ten years, it's it's yeah. gotten massive. Um, you know, so I, I definitely agree. You know, it's it's more of a. I have I have some teams here in South Carolina that are like small small schools that even have ninth grade teams. Um, just because you know they got so many guys. That'll come out. I mean, I'll, bro, I won't forget my 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 first tryout in high school. There was like sixty something kids there. Yeah, mine, mine too. There was like 60, 65 kids. I'm like, yo, I gotta really put on if I really want to yeah. make this team. Yeah. Jesse has a new kid. Like, I didn't go to the middle school there. Elementary, I didn't come up throughout. No coaches know you. Ranks. Like yep. nobody knows who I am. I gotta really prove myself. And yep. luckily, I was able to do that and stand out. And, yeah, and then the same it's, thing. It's crazy how that works when you think about it that way too, man. Yeah. It's like, you know, one bad day can kind of, especially at that high school level of a certain thing, so one bad day can kind of uh, affect the trajectory of what you're doing um, for, for almost the rest of your life, really. Because, yep. you know, especially if you're someone that has done it a lot and now, okay, well, one bad day, you know, so it's very, uh, it's a very interesting uh, psychology, especially with tryouts and stuff. I, I remember when I was a high school coach, I hated tryouts. Like, that was the worst time worst of the day for me. Like, like I, I was always saying to my head coach, I was like, man, can we just, like, can we just skip this? Like, is there any way that we can skip this? Because, bro, like, when you sit there, you see all these kids working hard, doing everything, and then, like, at the end of the day, there's just people ahead of them that are just – better than them and like you then have to tell them like okay by the way like you're not gonna be playing like that is it's just a it's It's so hard it's a dream crushing thing right so 
that's that goes for all sports too. All sports. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's that's that's the hard. That's one of the hardest parts with high school athletics. That was definitely one of, like, I don't know physically, like right now, especially with the position I'm in, I don't know if someone could pay me enough money to go back to high school sports. If I'm being honest with you, yeah. Like that thing. That is definitely like one of the the factors tryouts, but like one of the biggest factors has got to be parents, like. <laughs> I had some of the craziest experiences with parents in my five years at high school level. Like just the sense of entitlement and just the, the politicking that has tried to be done on the sides and just all this stuff. And just is so crazy. And it's just like, you know, like my, like, especially for me, like my dad just didn't do that. Like he just let off. He would talk to me personally about it. Like he wasn't trying to come to practice. He wasn't trying to become the best coach, the coach's best friend. He wasn't trying to throw little shots to get his son. Like he just wasn't doing that. So then seeing like the other side of it, like being the one that's getting talked to, especially at the ninth grade level, like I'll, I'll never forget one of the years of my ninth grade. I think it was my, I think it was my first year when I was on ninth grade. It might've been my, no, it was actually my second year. Um, cause I remember kind of telling him like, this ain't my first rodeo. Like when I had to sit down with him, but I was, you know, I, I was 21, 22 and I still been playing basketball. So, cause I still played right. We, especially with yeah. or like that. So in practice I would play, right? Like I, I would, I would try to demonstrate exactly what I wanted by, by showing them like physically showing them. I'll never forget. Like one of the, one of the times, like one of my kids, like egos got hurt. And I like ripped him or blocked him or I did something where he kind of felt like, you know, that like small sense of shame. So I'm jumping up the court and he runs behind me and he, he full on tries to trip me like on purpose. That's like, and again, like, bro, like I've been in the game, right? I've had, I've had that happen to me as a player. Right. So like, I know exactly what it's like. I, I, I'm not saying like I've ever tried to trip anyone on purpose, but like I've seen it before. Right. But like seeing it come from like, a player versus a coach. I like grabbed the ball, like completely travel. I just picked him a ball, stop and told him to get out of practice. And then That's basically kind of like told him, cause my coach always let me know, like you have the ultimate say something like that. I said, that has no place for here. You can go home and you can turn your Jersey into me and we'll just, we'll see you next year. And his dad like met me in the office after practice. <laughs> and oh, wow. he was like, try, he full on was trying to say that his son didn't do it. I'm like, bro, what? you're, I'm like, you I was there. Like, I'm the one that got done to. Yeah, it happened like, to you. <laughs> and he was like, nah, like, you were dribbling. You weren't paying attention. Like, you probably thought it was just something else and, like, all this. And I'm just like, no. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the losing. Huh? So, it was very, very interesting, um, especially going through that because parents will just say whatever, man. They love their kids so much. They'll try to make sure that they can get the best out of them and they'll cross crazy lines to do it. Yeah, definitely glad I'm out of that spot. Oh yeah, and I can also relate to you with the injury part because I remember I did I did track and basketball in high school, so I remember my sophomore year similar to you, and then my sophomore year, literally the last day of sophomore year, it, we're it's we're chilling in gym. This last day, we're all chilling. They said, "Oh, you guys can go shoot around, play basketball." Me and my friends tried to play a little twenty-one. <laughs> I, I, I do I do it, man. I do I have the ball. I'm driving in because I'm, I'm winning the game. Basically, I'm in the air. And then one of my former friends, he pushes me while I'm in the air because I had Air Forces on, so I didn't really have proper ball shoes on. And I read <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't have proper yeah. ball shoes on. Well, I didn't think we were going to play that serious. And then I already had a sprained MCL. I had, like, a brace thing on. 
So, yeah. But, you know, I love the game. I was like, man, I really shouldn't play, but I kind of do want to play. I'm bored because yeah. we were just chilling. It was the last day of school. And then I landed wrong. And then when I'm trying to get up, I'm like, oh, man, I can't get up. Like, my, my leg's not stable. My knee's not stable. And then I'm like, uh, and then the period ended. Everybody's leaving. And I had to ask my friend. I had to yell to my friend, yo, yo, Chris, what's his name? Chris, please, I need, I need your help. Can you bring me to the nurse? He was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I got you, man. And then I, I didn't even know I had a torn ACL, man. Like, Shit. I didn't know. I, I didn't know until we went to, me and my mom brought me to the doctor. And they told me, you got a torn ACL, man. And I was shattered. I was shocked. I was pissed. I was so heated. I'm like, and I felt like I was in the tremendous shape. Like, I'm yeah. the, hey, I feel like at that point, I was in the best shape of my life. Like, I was just coming off trap. I was bouncy. Everything. My game was sharp. Everything. I was looking forward to my junior year playing varsity. And then to have this happen, I was like, I was crushed. I was like, man, this could have been avoided if I would have just sat down. But but at the, at the same time, my knee already. But it was on the side of my knee. It wasn't in the middle. And to this day, I had to learn how to walk again. It was the worst pain of my life. When I woke up from that surgery, I felt like my knee was bleeding, this blood dripping out, even though it wasn't. It was it was painful. I, it took me a month to learn how to walk again. Therapy was annoying. Eventually, I said, I don't want to go to therapy anymore. I, just, I said, Mom, I'll do the stretches at home, which I did because I was motivated internally. And I just did workouts at home because I didn't want to have to go to therapy. And I was in high school. I already had enough homework to deal with and stuff, especially my junior year. Junior year is like the most important year of high school. Especially getting ready for college and stuff. That's the most important year. And I really focused on my grades that year and I did really good. But man, missing that year, basketball. And I ended up stopped doing track because I was like the demand of track. Because I, I said, I'm going to give up track because I love basketball more. And it's a five player sport. At least my knee doesn't have to do all the demand on myself. I got four other players to help me. And track, there's so much demand on my knee, all that running that quick, because my knee will get sore when I stood up for too long or if I ran too hard or something. And it's all on you. So I was like, you know what? I got to give up track, man. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I was I was just like, bro. I was like, I was so pissed. And then senior year comes. I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm hyped for a basketball season. Few game few games into the season, I'm like, I, I I could barely even practice. My the pain, the sharp pains in my knee, I'm feeling running, doing the suicides and all that. I told the coach, I can't do it anymore. I was like, it's too painful. And I, it, it, it really hurt me. I was like, I physically can't do it. Like, every day, it's a, it's a ha- I never had – because before, it was easy for me. I was able to run easily, no pain. I was in great shape. I always made sure I was in great shape before basketball season, staying in shape all year round. But I was like, it, it's just wearing on me mentally. Like, I can't do it. It's mentally hurting me and physically as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like – I can't imagine what it is going through a separated shoulder and having it pop back in and out multiple times. Oh, it's crazy. I could still pop it today if I really wanted to. But oh I just goodness. I don't, you know. I'm going to try to hurt myself. Yeah, so, so, so we kind of have similarities in that way. But the next question I have for you is, how has the game of basketball helped be a metaphor for you of life? Ah, uh, it's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. Got him there. He said, ah. I, my whole thing is, especially I kind of adopted it in, in college. I'm a very um, in the moment person. Um, try to, you know, I, I'm not, I'm definitely, not, I wouldn't say I'm an over positive person, but um, I'm going to try to remain po- as positive as possible. And just kind of, I kind of use basketball as a, medium to kind of 
get my guys to understand, especially at the level that I'm at, um, that, you know, the stuff that you do, no matter what avenue it is, can translate to everything. Um, you know, I very, I don't ask very much of my guys, if I'm be honest, you know, but the three simple things of, you know, show up on time, listen when someone's talking and making sure that the energy is always good energy. Um, and that's just basically those very simple, very simple, but very, um, hard at the same time, three things. Um, and it's just very moving for them to kind of get them to understand, Hey, well, if I can do this, then, you know, it's something as simple as, Oh, well, I'm, I'm on time for a 6am workout. I can be on time to my 7:30 game for my son in 15 years, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and those experiences in the future, as much preparation as you can get for them in the moment can change the course of your life, you know, and trying to get them to understand, trying to get myself to understand too, that, you know, everything, everything can just fade away. Right. It's almost a sense of what I kind of talked about with one of my really, really good friends in college is like, at the end of the day, like everything is nothing and nothing is everything. And it's a very, like, kind of sit there, you kind of like, wait, what? But when you sit there and think about it, like, you know, everything that you have can just instantly go away. But at the same time, like, everything you have doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but in the vice, vice of it, you know, you got to take pride and have almost like a sense of not entitlement, but appreciation for what you do have. And kind of living with that chip on your shoulder but also kind of whatever you can onto others. So it's a very, it's a very complex um, way of looking at things when you think about it, but uh, trying to get them to understand and trying to get myself to understand is always the goal. Cause you know, you can't, you can't sit there and always be worried about everything. Right. Yeah. Nothing, nothing matters except just you living your life happy, no matter what you're doing, just be happy. Obviously, that's the that's not going to happen, right? You're going to go through shit that's going to make you mad, that's going to make you sad, that's going to make this. But the faster you can learn from it first by listening and watching and paying attention, and then getting over it and like moving on from it and detaching yourself from it, um, it, it just plays dividends in your life. Because then you can just you can experience everything for what it's worth instead of experiencing things for. With like with this with this drag of stuff that you've already experienced, right? Like think of it like this: Let's say you're 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 going somewhere you've never been before. It's supposed to be an exciting thing, but the night before, you and your girlfriend got into got into it, right? Are you gonna are you gonna approach the day with worrying about all that, with with thinking about all that, or did you do what you're supposed to do and close it out? With however however the outcome was, but did you close it out so that you can attack the day in the moment and and actually get the day for what it's worth instead of get the day for what yesterday was worth. Mm. So just kind of trying to use basketball in that sense. Cause bro, like this year, man, we've had, like we just got off before, before this week we had, I think it was like, we had like nine games in 14 or 15 days or something crazy like that. And you don't, you don't have time to worry about the game before you don't have time to, to worry about the practice before. You don't have time to worry about the travel before all that. All you have to do is be okay. Next game, okay. Day off, take care of my body. Okay, next day game. 
and and the ability to kind of shake off things is not really talked about, but it's a very valuable thing to have in, in your whole entire life for literally everything. Um, you kind of can make yourself almost like a, a fake iron armor around your body that'll just protect you from shit that you just never really thought of or kind of expected. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of played a massive dividend in our success that we've had is just kind of trying to attack the day like it's a new day um, and, and go from there, you know? You know, one thing I love about sports, like the metaphor of sports, just anything in life, you get out what you put in, like simple as that. And then also, I feel like I love sports, too, because teach you how to communicate with people of different backgrounds, personalities. It's just like when you go into work every day or school, you have to learn how to deal with different people and different personalities. And that's what I love about it. Yep. And then also, like you're going to just like in life with sports, you're not going to not every day. You're going to have peaks and valleys. You're going to have some great stretches in life and sports where you're on a hot streak or something. And you're going to have bad stretches where you're struggling, just like in life as well. It's all how do you react to it? Are you going to sink or are you going to swim? That's how, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, trying to, get, uh, trying to get everyone on that same page is definitely, um, you know, not the easiest task. And then trying to also understand, like, and especially it translates in life just like sports. Like, you can't let – the minority affect the majority mm-hmm. no matter what right that that's kind of like my my thing so you can't be moving and grooving doing good and then have someone else that's not doing so well you know you can help them like i always I always preach you know you can you can lead them to the water but you can't force them to drink it so yeah. as long as you do your duty of lead them to the water you can't sit there and have them saying like oh well the water might be bad it might not taste good it might be poisoned it, what, whatever the excuse is, you can't let that affect what you're doing. You just get them there, did your job, continue to move on. So it's just kind of playing that, and that that goes for everything in life. That goes for the work atmosphere, the bat, the sport atmosphere, your home atmosphere. Um, it's just everything. And also with sports, like it teaches you, just like in life, when you're going, when a bad play happens or something bad happens in life, you you got to keep moving. You can't just keep s- sitting there in the play because. Things keep going. Time keeps going. The play keeps going. And that's one thing, especially like, say you're going through a breakup. You can't just sit there and just not not do what you have to do, your daily stuff. You got to keep going, keep pushing, because time doesn't stop for anybody. No play is going to stop for any player. You just got to keep going, keep pushing. Yeah, I'll fight through it. Mm -hmm. The next question I have for you is, what made you want to become a coach? So, growing up, my parents were very uh, trying to see how to word this. They're very helpful people, you know. Uh, I'll I'll have memories of some of my guys that are on my AU teams who grew up in some really really nasty places that I would never want any any part of something that I love to grow up in. But they did it, and it shaped them into great human beings that they are now. But my parents would, you know, I would have those kids over at my house sometimes, spend the night. My parents would be helping them out as much as they could, helping them out with life advice, helping them out with personal things, stuff like that. Uh, and just kind of doing that across the board, right? Just help. help like My mom was a kindergarten or a preschool teacher, um, and she was a social worker. So just trying to figure out a way to help people, but also doing it with passion. Because you can help people, but if you're stagnant in it, 
it becomes this. You're not doing it to the full capacity. You know, you're not doing it to however much you can fully do it for and, and the capacity that you can. So I love basketball. I love sports. I figured, you know, coaching, I can have that be an, a, a way to help people in whatever it is, whatever shape it is, however it is. And then, you know, I'm also having fun with it. It's not like I'm showing up to work miserable, you know, yeah. like, well, I'll use this. I'll use this analogy, right? Don't get me wrong. Teachers, man, great people, brave people, right? They do, they do stuff I would never want to do. They help people. But would I ever go through having to sit in that classroom, dealing with all those kids, dealing with all those parents, dealing with that? No, there's no way. So you guys trying to find that happy place where you can also help people. Um, that's kind of why. I do what I do. Yeah, for a teacher, man. See, same thing with a coach, but teach to a higher degree. You got to have extreme patience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Extreme. And it doesn't matter what age group you're dealing with because each age group has its, it's ups and downs. Deal with. Yep. Like little yep. kids, you're going to deal with crying, whining, all that. And then when you're dealing with high school kids, you're going to deal with talking back, all that stuff because – you're going to be dealing with a lot of people with different backgrounds, different cultures, personalities, different upbringings, you, and you got to be ready for that. Yep, exactly. And it's just like the same thing with coaching. Like You just have to know how to deal with it. And speaking of coaching, just like you were saying before, so you were an undergraduate manager at Winthrop University's men's program, a video coordinator for the freshman boys at Northwestern High School as well. No, and I was just a ninth grade coach at Northwestern. I was a video coordinator my junior year for, at Winthrop, yeah. And then you also, two seasons as the coach at Northwestern, you helped them become the best team in the region, including helping them win 23 games. And you guys won the regional title in 2019. So how did all these experiences help you for where you currently are now? And what was it like to be so new in the business of coaching and all that, and yet achieve so much success in such a short period of time? You know, at the end of the day, no matter what you do, you got to be a sponge, mm -hmm. right? And that's like kind of like what I was talking about earlier with, how like small moments can kind of alter the course. If, if you can capture the moments and be in the moment, then it, it'll do dividends for you. So it started at Winthrop, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that program there was successful, like massively. I mean, if, in my three years that I was there, I think we won almost 65 games wow. in three years. And it was three championship appearances. One, we won. So like I was – absorbing that every day i was in that winning environment winning culture i i saw it's not like you can't just like it is one of the biggest travesties of life to be in that situation and then not learn and absorb and and get something from it because then you're just wasting what is a crazy moment looking back um and it, that kind of played dividends you know i everything that i've kind of done i've Learn from, tweaked. Obviously, you add your own twist to it, but you know it's like that old saying: if, you don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. So it's just kind of trying to put your own flair to it, trying to put your own creativity to it, but then also keeping it simple and just understanding that basketball is a very, very simple sport. You put a basketball in a hoop. You can't dribble after picking the ball up. Like it's very simple. Right. So people try to people try to overcomplex it. That's like the main thing in the game right now. People trying to do what others do, trying to do things that they aren't familiar with. 
right? Um, so just trying to stick to core things, small things, and just grow from there. And the end of the day, like I'll preach till I'm done coaching. No matter, this can probably hurt some coaches' egos out there. Coaches don't win basketball games. Mm-hmm. They never have and never will. I'm not talking about any other sport. I'm just talking about just basketball. Coaches don't win basketball games. The players win basketball games. That's so true. So it's more like, especially my experience this year, you're more managing players than coaching. Obviously, the coaching's there. It's not like you're never going to coach. But you're managing the players. You're making sure that the culture is there, that the environment is positive, it's successful. They get stuff out of it, right? But then at the same time, they're having fun. They're enjoying it. They're not burdened by it. You know, there's discipline, but there's not over discipline. So it's just trying to get that understanding. And I've just kind of seen it throughout my years and kind of going through what has. And again, it's, it's always worked. I mean, um, in the past, I'm trying to think, three years at Winthrop, five years at Northwestern, and two years at Clinton. So, what is that? That's 10 years, right? I think I was just, yeah, 10 years. In 10 years, I've probably had six or seven 20 win seasons. Wow. Maybe seven or eight. So it's like you just you can't people think they're people think they're smarter than they are, right? You just you just absorb and and, and re put it out there in your own flair and your own twist, and then making sure that your your workers, your your players, your people that are doing all the tasks that are in charge of everything, they're on the same page. They're being successful. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're not letting things distract them. They're staying on course. They're buying in, right? Because it's like it's like a trend. It's like a it's like a river effect. The first thing is, the very first thing is the players have to like you. Yep. The very first thing. Not, and, and there's people out there that'll preach up and down. My player, my players, they don't have to like me. Well, they're not. If they don't like you, nine times out of ten, they're not going to play the you. best. Nope. And then if they don't respect you, they're not going to listen to you when, like, the times matter. They're not going to listen to you all the time. They might listen to you. They're going to have selective hearing, right? And then if they're not listening to you. They're having selective hearing. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to trust what you're saying. They're not going to trust that you're doing things right. So fighting for them, and then getting them to like you. That that's. Likeability is one of the most undervalued things, right? Um, and again, college basketball is interesting because this is where it's kind of different from high school. And this is kind of what I learned, right? The head coach doesn't always have to be liked, but you can't have a whole coaching staff and have a player not like anyone on the coaching staff. Oh yeah, that's true. Then they're not. They're not going to be. They're not, they're they're just not going to enjoy their time. So you may have a player that, you know, he may not, he, he respects you, he listens to you, but he might like an assistant. Well, that's fine. He's going to listen to the assistant coach. He's going to do this, he can do that. So it's, it's a massive working ecosystem of just trust and likability. And then, like I said, basketball is really simple. You just put yeah. a basketball in the hoop. Mm-hmm. That's it. And just try to stop the other team from scoring. Yep. You just play, play, you got 30 seconds just to prevent the other team from scoring. So it, it was very, you know, interesting. A lot of my offensive stuff I got in my time at Winthrop, and then a lot of my defensive stuff I got in my time at high school. Because while I was at Northwestern, we were probably one of the no, – no one wanted to go up against us in terms of defense except for those, you know, the few heavy hitters that just, you know, they were 
miles ahead of everyone. But your average team, they weren't one. They were they sucked their teeth. They were rolling their eyes. We we pressed the whole game. We played ninety four feet. We were up in your face, trapping. Like, it was just miserable. Oh, old school style. It was huh? a miserable thirty two minutes. I'm gonna be oh, honest. Man. Um, and you know my guy, who's now the head coach at Great Falls, who was always our defensive guy. He kind of instilled the most simple, simple concept of pressure burst pipes. Right, pressure burst pipes. Imagine what it can do to the human body. Mm. That that is wow. That's amazing. So it's like, well, and so then, especially this year when we've played some of these, you know, then this is pressure is kind of pulled into a massive thing. Um, for some of our D2 wins that we've had this year. That's kind of what I preach. We play, we play these games we're not supposed to win, right? We're supposed to, we're supposed to beat our teams in our, in our division, right? But we play these NAIAs and these D2s and these D1s. We're not supposed to beat them. No one's betting on us to win the game. So what I'm saying to them, yo, if you get out early and you stun them, you're going to put pressure on them. And then, then you're going to kind of see what kind of person they are. And that pressure, man, I mean, it's like in our D2 games that we had in the Virgin Islands, we both those games, we went up a crazy amount. And that pressure, just that fear, just all those emotions that come with the pressure, it's, it's overwhelming. And it can affect people. And then it affects how they play. It affects their decision-making. It affects everything. It's the best form of defense. Because yep. at the end of the day, sorry, sorry I was, at the end of the day, Good defense is better than good offense. Oh, yeah. But better offense is always better than better defense. Mm-hmm. It's but, like they always say on the NBA and they're doing the broadcast, great offense beats great defense any day. Oh, always. Yeah, you could – I mean, how many times have you been in a basketball setting where someone's like, oh, that's great defense, and then they hit a shot in front of you? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't block everything, you know, a jab, bat, fade, all that stuff. is There's stuff that's physically unguardable. And, you know, there's the guys are hitting, the guys are hitting. And, you know, but at the end of the day, what there's not a lot of is there's not a lot of people that are built for high pressure situations. So when you're playing defense and that pressure's on you, it's over. It's different. It's a different setting. Um, so, you know, we tried our best our can in all our games. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does work. We've kind of, it's kind of hard for us, though, because my thing on offense is, Fast, 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 play, 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 right? My, my thing is, bro, I'm coaching, right? I'm watching. I'm not playing. I'm watching. I'm, I'm not trying to watch boring basketball. Yeah. My, my games will never be a 40 to 40 score, 50 to 50, 60 to 60. I'm just not watching that. Like, I, I can't. I get no enjoyment out of that. So we're averaging, we're averaging like over 100 possessions a game right now, probably, if not a little bit less. And it's like, it's hard to keep up that level of defense for 40 minutes while also maintaining that high level of offense. Um, so we've kind of been adapting, kind of doing different things. But at the end of the day, if you got guys that show up and no one can guard them, you know, they become almost in a sense of you have a team that's faster than everyone but that can also shoot threes. Well, you can't zone them because they're going to hit threes on you. And then you play man-to-man, you know, you got to do this or that. So there's different ways that you can guard, but we just we've had a very high level of success with the way we've played. So it's been a very, very interesting year. And I, I know your experience as a video coordinator. I know now that you're a coach, I know that has that experience definitely helped you learn how to chop up and break down film. Like that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, 
it, I'm gonna be honest, that that experience gave me more insight on on a lot of mm-hmm. things, right? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches that I can I can tell. It, it's crazy. I can tell who watches film and yeah. who doesn't watch film when we play teams. Um, and it's like being able to learn how to break down games, being able to learn how to read things and watch things and adapt. That's that's where coaching can kind of go into effect, right? That's where you know coaching is a small piece of the pie. But at the end of the day, it is a piece of the pie. Um, so it's kind of being able to flip a thing on a dime, being able to adjust so like that. Learning all that while I was at Winthrop was definitely a very, very uh, beneficial thing for uh, coaching. For oh, yeah, for sure. So with all your success, you're now doing a great job as the Clinton College Golden Bears men's basketball interim head coach. Where you guys currently stand at twenty-one overall, you're six and zero in the conference, and undefeated at twelve and zero. And last time I checked, you guys were fifth in the USCAA standings. I don't know if that's changed, but did you expect this type of success when you first became the interim head coach? So yeah, so we're we before before I go into that, we're actually we were in the USCAA last year, USCAA. Um, and this year now we're in the NCCAA. So we kind of moved like a whole different new thing this year. Oh, um, which is a way more competitive. Um, our final polls came out for the regular season, and they had us at eighth. Um, and it's very interesting how they do the they do it based off of basically a point per game percentage, and it's a massive equation in order to get your points based on who you play and all this stuff. Um, so, you know, going into it, did I? That's always a tough question, right? Because as a coach, you always want to have that confidence of. Um, you know, hey, this is this is going to be a good year. You know, you always want to have that mindset. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. We only had five returners from last year from a very successful team. And then we had seven – no, we had five returners. We had ten new guys, basically. So, you know, going into it – I mean, you obviously you get a pick for the – you get a feel for the team after a couple of days or a couple of weeks and stuff like that. So I knew, I knew right off the bat that the team was something special, but I could also tell that – it had its chinks in its armor um, that mm-hmm. needed to be worked on in order to maintain its success. Um, but at the same time, my the guy before me, he scheduled a crazy schedule, right? Like our first, like we're we're twenty and one, but we also played a bunch of exhibition games, which don't count on the record. They're just kind of you know our tests and trial and error games, and those were against our D ones and D twos and stuff like that. So I think if you count those games, we're like 20 and 8, I think, of all the games. But my first semester, you know, you're trying to keep things together. You're losing over – like, yes, it doesn't count, but it still plays a toll, right? You're losing over and over and over again. And some of the games, you're losing by 20 points, losing by 30 points. Uh, And, you know, and then for us, we're in a crazy situation where – because our school gets out so early, like our school is done November, I want to say like November 19th or November 21st or something like that, somewhere around there, we were done. Everyone goes home. So then we don't come back and our first game is on December 29th. So all my guys were gone November 22nd to December 26th. It's like 36 days or something like that. They're gone. Yeah, no practice. Time. No, I mean, obviously they're doing their own basketball stuff, but no, no team stuff. So, you know, as a coach, you got to sit there and <laughs> kind of got to cross your fingers and hope that they come Everybody back. stay in shape. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, 
Well, everyone stays in shape is the first thing. Obviously, you know, you're going to get back and people are going to kind of be out of shape. But just kind of making sure that they're still locked in, you know, especially with a grueling first half. It's different. You know, you're you're 12-0, and 0, you're 13-0 and 0 going into Christmas break. You're feeling all good. There's not much worry, right? But, again, it's a very mental sport too. So you go on that break and you're – you haven't won a too many games and you're on a losing streak. Um, technically not, but in on the court you're – you've lost games in a row, it's like, okay, well, are we going to come back with a good mindset or a bad mindset? And, you know, our guys just came back with a very strong mindset, and I kind of tried to reinforce that, hey, we're playing all these teams in this first semester. We play in the second semester. It's it's going to be night and day, you know. It's kind of like – I don't know how familiar you are with some of the, the pre-workout that Curry does, but – Oh, I've seen some of them. It's he'll, he'll, he'll come out, right? He'll do his two-ball drill, and then he'll start shooting, right? He'll do his form shooting, but then he starts pulling from deep, like half court, right? And again, yeah, it's Curry. He'll make some and stuff like that. But the point to shoot from out there, it isn't to make them. Mm-hmm. The point is, is to get warmed up, to get a feel for it, because then once you're shooting out there, and then you go to shoot a regular three. It's a layup. It's exactly. It's a layup. It is way easier when you go to shoot a free throw after shooting a bunch of threes. It's way easier. That's why normally people that are really good three point shooters are phenomenal free throw shooters. Yeah. So it's kind of that same thing when you sit there and you play your games from half court constantly to then you go into your games that are free throws. It's it's a night and day experience, and you know it's like I said, our winning. I had a – hold on. I have let – me, let me pull this up real quick because I have a – from our NCCA, I just had to submit all our stuff. So I have um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the stats for us this year. And it's kind of it's crazy. I'm not going to lie when you kind of sit there and think about it. It's our first year in the conference. So just being able to do this. I mean, we're number one in offense in the NCCA. We average 110 – Point eight points per game. Oh yeah, I saw that. And I looked on the website. I was like, "Yo, yeah. this team's offense got fast the number power. number one scoring margin in the NCCA." You know, we beat we average beating teams by twenty six. Uh, number two field goal percentage. Number one three point percentage. Number five free throw percentage. And then on top of all that, we're number one in rebounding and number three in assists. So it's like it's just been a crazy crazy second 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 semester sorry of um due diligence i mean at one point we were on like a 15 or 16 game winning streak um in the second semester before we lost to uva wise uh at uva wise against a d2 it was a really good game we just couldn't hold it through at the end but it's been a very very successful year and again it's kind of hard to gauge but you kind of want to be hopeful did i think we would be uh, number one in offense, number one in scoring margin, number one in rebounding, number like all those? No. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, I did not think that. I mean, I thought our offense was going to be good. I'm going to be honest. I thought our offense was going to be worse and our defense was going to be better. Mm. But in turn, it kind of was flipped. Our offense was way better than I thought it would be. And then our defense is – Still needs some work. Yes. But, again, defense is a hard thing to gauge because most people gauge defense how many points you give up. Yep. Well, when we score 110 a game, we are going to give up 90. Like, yeah. you're, just, you're not going to beat every team by 40 
and then have them average 70 points a game. So it's like we do a lot of things well on defense, but then obviously there's some things that we're not the best at. But obviously teams are going to score on us because we're giving them almost 20 or 30 more possessions than they average against other teams. So, yeah. When I was looking at the website, I saw you guys averaging over 50 rebounds for a game. I'm like, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, they really pound the glass. They crashed the glass. Like, yeah. I wonder they get second chance opportunities to score 110 points per game. Yeah, we um, we definitely take pride. That that pain is ours. You know, oh, yeah. we, that's our that's our message going in every game. It's like no one no one is controlling that except us. We're controlling glass. We're controlling paint. We're making them pack it in to try to control it, and then we spread it out. Because, again, teams will try to control the paint on us, which then will leave wide-open shots and wide-open lanes. So, But at the end of the day, you got to be able to slow us down. And that too, yeah. that's definitely a lot easier said than done. Some teams try to press us. Some teams try to zone us. They try to do all kinds of things. But it's just – it's tough when we have the speed and the athleticism and then the, the culture that we have of – it's not like the speed and the athleticism is just there. It's – a taught thing, you know, every day in practice, it's ball up the court, ball up the court, ball up the court. Couldn't tell you the last time in practice, except if we're doing like a full court thing where there's 30 seconds on the shot clock. Everything we do is 20 seconds on the shot clock. Why? Because it'll speed you up in a game sense. You'll have an extra 10 seconds. Yep. So I think, I mean, I told my guys the other day and some of them were arguing with me and stuff. And I literally looked at him. I said, I genuinely do not think that we've gotten a single shot clock violation the entire season. Wow. That's hard to do. Yeah. But then on the reverse of it, it's like, I think we've almost gotten a technical in every game we've played. <laughs> so it's, it's been a very, it's been a very, very uh, crazy, like statistical anomaly year. Cause you know, we got, there's a lot of uh, passion on our team. Uh, it's one of, the past, one of the most passionate programs I've been around, and they they like to show it. You know, they they got a chip on their shoulder, and they're they're very vocal. And you know, sometimes that loudness comes across as arrogance or cockiness when they're just passionate about what they're doing. So, I think on average, I get about two or three bench warnings a game. Mm-hmm. Of guys on the court cheering, celebrating, some of that is a very, it's a very lively bench. I know that if my bench isn't live, we're losing the game. Oh yeah. So it's, it's constantly having to try to tell them to sit down, get off the court, stuff like that. And similar to like the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> the refs know by now, but like they still will come into the game telling our captains, "Yo, can you chill up, chill up off the court today?" You know, like let's let's not be all over the court. Yeah. So. So speaking of such great success, you guys also defeated the Edward Warder Tigers, a D2 team, 105-80 to 80 early in the season at the, yes, USVI Classic HBCU first constellation round. How did that victory help boost your guys' overall confidence in your abilities as a team? Because you guys are, what, D3 team, right? Uh, we're not even D3. Technically, we're below uh, D3, technically. So that's even better. I say, like, that's, yeah, I would say, like, if you're, like, kind of, you know, you got D1, D2, and then you got NAIA kind of in there, and then D3, and then you have NCCAA. Um, yeah, so I mean, that makes that accomplishment even better. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first, so the first round of that tournament, we got <laughs> short stick of the draw. We drew West Virginia State, who oh, is, at the time was the number 19 DT, D2 team in the country. 
They were like 16 and 0. I think they're now the number seven or number eight D2 team in the country. Um, and we're, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to have a good time. It's the Virgin Islands. I'm trying to win, but I'm trying not to let, you know, very moment person, right? I'm not trying to let things, not worrying about playing them, but at the same time, I'm not like, like trying to have our game affect my time there because I've never been to the Virgin Islands before. Um, so we're playing them and we go into halftime like up eight, up nine. And I'm just kind of looking at my assistant coach like, bro, we've had two practices in the past 35 days. What is going on right now? Like, if you tell any coach, like, hey, you're, this is a far, far, far on paper less talented team that is, like, beating them with three practices in the past month and a half, they're yeah. looking at you like you're crazy. Like, no way. And so then we kind of stuck it through. And then the very, very beginning of our, like, second to last me time, I was around the nine-minute part, they kind of the turn, the tide kind of got swung a little bit. And then it was a back-and-forth, back-and-forth, back-and-forth game, and it kind of got into the thick of it. And they were hitting shots, and we weren't. And we ended up losing by three. Mm-hmm. But that team ended up beating every other team. D2s, they ended up beating every other team by 25, 30 points. That was there. So we kind of said the first round game was our championship game. But then we played that game to then go and play Ever Waters, which is <laughs> two completely different teams. Again, it's like you're shooting a your your long three versus shooting a free throw. Yeah. So they just came out with a crazy amount of confidence because they thought, you know, that they should have won the game. They felt like they were the better team. Um, which for majority of the game we were the better team, but we just couldn't close it. Well, they were pissed, and then they let that kind of flow into the game. And, I mean, at the first bit, we went up like 20 in the first half against Everwaters. Mm-hmm. And we just never really looked back. And then it was funny because Virginia State lost, and they didn't want to play anymore. So they were supposed to play uh, Kentucky State. It was a really good SIAC team in D2. And so we played them. And, again, not supposed to win that game. First half, we're up like 15, 16, just doing everything that we're supposed to be doing right. So we ended up winning back-to-back D2 games. First D2 win in school history. So it was a very, very crazy experience. And, and it was on the island, so everyone got to experience. So it was, it was very, very good energy the entire trip. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you guys won by 25. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't like no small margin. You guys like blew, blew them out. Yeah, <laughs> like that's a you should really pat yourself on the back. Like hey. NAIA beating a D two team. Yeah, like I said, man, it's I'm just there. I'm just there to manage and coach. That's all. That's all the players. I don't. I don't put the ball in the hoop. Mm-hmm. And it's like not that. like we had a crazy amount of practice before. Yep. So I give all credit to my guys on that one. We just kind of showed up and did what we were supposed to do. And that was one of those games where you're looking back on it, you, we didn't really do much wrong. You know, there was very small. We only had like nine turnovers that game. And there was very, very few mental errors locked in on defense. It's just one of those games where our offense was doing what it's supposed to do and then our defense was doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So and that, just, that equals a crazy, crazy amount of success. Yep, respect, man. So behind every team, like you said, is a great coach, but also great players. Who are some players you want to shout out and who have helped you guys get to this point? 
Man, because every great team you have great players, and every yeah. So this is this is tough, right? Because like this is kind of where like my kind of coaching philosophy that I kind of have adopted. You know, how I was talking about earlier with you know you have your own twist on things. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of where my own coaching philosophy kind of plays into effect. Um, I'm gonna be honest. Our our team is not a traditional team. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is typically your one through five is drastically better than your five through 10. Yep. And then your five through 10 is drastically better than your 10 through 15. Traditionally. Um, sometimes you got like a six or seven who could compete with a four or five or a three, you know, they may feel like they should be starting or whatever. Same thing. You sometimes you have like a 15 or 14 that feels like they can be with like a nine or a 10. Yep. But I got, I got 13 guys that are, you know, it's a very, very small wow. margin of, uh, difference. I think I got six or five or six guys averaging um, double digits right now. Whoa. Um, so I can, I can pinpoint out some that are doing things that are just crazy. Like I got I got a freshman guard who's number one is Jeremiah Anderson. He's averaging like almost eighteen points a game. He's our he's our second leading scorer on our team. Yeah. But special thing about him is he is currently number one in NCCAA in field goal percentage, and he's a point guard. He he's got he shoots the ball at seventy one percent. That's ludicrous. So that's he, ludicrous. Doesn't, he doesn't take very many threes, but like his three point percentage is not bad. He just is so fast and so crafty. Just not very many people have been able to guard him. I mean, he, he just gets to the rim. He's our, yeah, he's our paint manager. You know, he's the guy that orchestrates all of it down there. And he's, you know, he's a 6'2", six, 6'3", six, point guard. Um, so he kind of, he can do a little bit of everything. Um, another guy, obviously, our main guy, that was our player, the player of the uh, region last year. Um, number 13, Cam Shannon. He's one of my returners. Great kid. He averages like almost 21 points a game. He's like seven, I think, or like eight in scoring in NCCA. Uh, just lefty. High, shoots at a high clip, too. He's like a 48 or 49% field goal shooter. And then my big man, number 20, he, he averages, I think he's number seven or number six in rebounds or something like that. Um, but it's hard to pinpoint a man. They, I got like, like I said, I got six or seven guys that average double figures. I got two. I'm basically go back and forth between starting a freshman. I got a freshman starter and a freshman that's a six man. So, and that's not, at one point in the year we had two freshmen starting. So, it's been a very, very balanced team. But because we play so fast, it's like that that hockey mindset. You know, you play for four or five minutes, and then you're coming out. Now, again, if you're playing really, really, really well in that four or five minutes, okay, you may stay in for, you know, an extra two, but you're coming out because I got fresh legs on the bench that are just as good as you are that now they're getting to play against the second string of who we're playing. So you have – it's basically instead of a one, two, three, it's like a one A, one B, and then a two. So my one B gets to go and compete against the twos on the other team, and they just – I mean, we have some games where we have like 50 bench points. That's 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 insane. So it's like, that's insane. and it's like they're playing against 
you know, respectfully, people that are a lot worse than them because they're their That's second string. Insane. When yeah. my second string could start on a lot of teams. So, it, it, and again, that kind of came from our recruiting and trying to – and it's not, not every coach is able to, to deal with that, right? Because, like, I, it's a very beneficial thing to have, but it's a two-edged sword. One, you got to constantly be with them. Right, you got to constantly be on them. Of you know, they they're oh, I can't I can't get a groove. I can't do this. I can't. You're taking me out. You know, I want to play 35. Everyone wants to play 35 minutes, right? Okay. So you got to find 15 dudes that want to win a championship. They don't care about playing time. They care, but they don't care as much. It's not their number one priority because you're not. You know, our I think our number one guy averages only like 31 minutes a game, mm-hmm. which yes, that's a lot. But majority of teams have at least one guy that averages. 36, 35, 37, 38, somewhere in there. He plays the majority of the game. Yeah. We don't have that. We have some guys that play more than others, but majority of my guys average 20, 25 minutes a game. And we play 10 damn near every game, which for people out there that are basketball casual fans or they, you know, they watch basketball or stuff like that, that's, that's very uncommon to play 10 people for at least 10 minutes in a game. Um, and we, we tend to do it almost every single game. So it's very, very complex, but, you know, it, it, it's working. It's definitely worked, and it's definitely been exhausting at times because, you know, you got your off-court stuff. You got people thinking they should be starting. You're trying to manage everything, and that's what I kind of said earlier. It's more about managing and yeah. coaching at times because if the talent's there, you just got to give the structure, right? It's like, it's like the playground, Give them, give them some structure. Give them some basic rules, some basic things to do, and let their let their talent um, take over in in the structure. So it's been a very uh, <laughs> it's been a very up and down. But we had a little we had a little kumbaya session a little bit after break. We 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 beat a team, but we it was one of those games where it should have been a lot further away than it was. So we had a little kumbaya session and basically kind of came together and was like, "Yo, what are we trying to do here?" Are we trying to are we trying to average twenty points? Are we trying to average forty minutes? Are we trying to get all this individual stuff? Are we trying to win a championship? Yeah. And we kind of all got on the same page of man, we're here to win a championship. We're trying to get a ring, you know. So they all kind of bought in, and now I still got my attitude at times for getting subbed out, but it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. And as a coach, you just kind of have to expect it at times, and that's something that a lot of coaches aren't really used to, you know. A lot of coaches, you come out and you got attitude. You're you're not you're done for, you know. And at times we definitely have that, but at other times you kind of have to let you got to be a little bit more lenient, just because you got to be understanding. You got to be understanding. You know, your system is different, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint players. I can just kind of throw out specific players that have very specific accolades, but other than that, man, we got ten strong, and then we got our guys on the bench too that can be playing on other teams but they just got 10 guys ahead of them that are just dogs so yeah you got a loaded team man you got like the dream team going on over there (laughs) (laughs) crazy part is only crazy part is only got one senior whoa and and is he a starter or he comes off the bench he comes off the bench wow man that's saying something that's saying something then yeah he's able to swallow his pride like my last year, but I'm going to come off the bench. That's saying something, so shout out to him, man. Yeah. So what's your mindset as a team heading into tournament play? This is this is what we, you know, this is what we work for. This is what, and this is why basketball is such an interesting sport, man, 
and so sports in general have this, but college basketball, you know, it's it's unlike college. College basketball is so special, and it's so heartbreaking at the same time, right? You have five months that are just grueling months, especially oh, the first yeah. two. Especially the first two. Oh my gosh, the six a.m.s, the ten p.m.s, the midnights, just the the three a days. Like they add up, and it all comes down to. It all comes down to Friday. A whole entire five and a half months all gets put into one day. And it's win or go home. Yep. And it's, you know, you got to be locked in. You can't have stragglers. You can't have lollygaggers. You can't have people that are in their own world. You got to all be connected and be on the same page. So it's, it's you know, it, you got to keep the line of, hey, it's n- nothing's different other than the fact that we can't have a slow start. You know, we can't have an off day. So just trying to get them in the right mental space this week. And it starts with practice. And we've had a really good three days of practice. Um, so I can tell you right now, just off practice, I'm going off practice. If we have another good practice tomorrow. I, I expect us to be cutting the net on Saturday if I'm going off practice. But again, you can't always go off practice. Yeah. But it's been a really good week and trying to get them to understand of, hey, like, you know, not a lot of teams are in the position that you're in. You're not only in a position because the way that our um, kind of conference for the NCCA works is uh, everyone in the NCCA basically gets the opportunity to go to the national tournament, essentially, right? And the way that the national tournament works is you first have your regionals, which is kind of like your round of 32 and your sweet 16. And then if you win your regionals, you go to the elite eight, basically, so and it's it's at different locations and it's a little bit further spread out than traditional tournaments are. So you know we have our round of thirty two on Friday, that's versus one of the teams in our region, and then we have the Sweet Sixteen on Saturday when we win, and then we win that we're in the Elite Eight, and then you get to go to I think our championships in Indiana. So you have your eight best teams, you have your six region teams winners, and then you have two at large that are basically your two teams that get a bid just based off their performance throughout the year. For us, it's win or go home. So yeah. trying to get them locked in and trying to get them to understand that you know they're in a special, special place right now. They are, they have an opportunity to not only compete for a regional championship but to compete for a national championship. And so because you have that opportunity, you have to do everything different. You have to behave different. You have to man, your mannerisms have to be different. This ain't a fifteen and fifteen team or a, a, a eight and fifteen team team where that that hope is there. No, the belief is there with this. This is a 20 and one winning team. Yeah. So you're, you're having to treat yourself like that and know, okay, we're in a special predicament. We can't just let all this go to waste. So you got to do whatever you're supposed to do and do whatever it takes and do all the small things. Because when all the small things get added up, you get a really big number. And nine times out of 10, that's success. So, you yep. And if you guys keep playing your records, it speaks to the pudding, like proof to the pudding. You guys keep playing the way you guys been playing all season. There's no, re- there's no way you guys, there's no reason you guys shouldn't win a title. There's no reason. Yeah, man, just gotta, we just gotta do the little things and just take care of business, and it, and the rest of it should fall into place. Detail and fundamentals. I always try to tell people those are very key. Yep. Very key. We were. I try. I try to tell them. I don't. I'll never just say something just to say it. I'm not a very wasteful person. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, everything I say has a purpose. Everything we do has a purpose, and it all adds up to what what we got going on on Friday. You know, making sure you're 
doing every little thing correct. And so you have that, that moment of happiness where you're cutting the net, you're lifting the trophy that you'll never forget. So it's funny. I picked up this, uh, I picked up this little, uh, I guess ideology you want to say from the, uh, his name's, uh, there we go. Kelvin Sampson. He's the head coach at Houston. And, you know, over the past four years, Houston's been phenomenal. Top 10 team every year. They're getting a, a one, two, or three seed in the tournament every single year. Um, and he said the following, right? He said, if you want to be happy for a day, buy yourself a steak. He said, if you want to be happy for a week, buy yourself a cruise. Go on a cruise. So you want to be happy for a month? Get yourself a new car. But you want to be happy for the rest of your life? Win a championship. Mm-hmm. And it's like just kind of that whole thing of, and then and then he goes on to say, if you're in the position to be able to do that, you gotta act differently, because it, it, that that moment can be taken from you just just like that in the snap of a finger. So you gotta be on your p's and q's and making sure that you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, hopefully we can do what we're supposed to do on Friday and Saturday and look to go to nationals. Uh, I think it's in the middle of the month. So. Mm. So I got some quick hitters for you. Before. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. What, what what music artists do you like to listen to prior to a game to get you guys ready mentally for the game? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a real big music person before games. Okay. But if I am, probably kind of like a chilling vibe, like not really high. A lot of people listen to, you know, pretty high strung or like very amped up. So maybe yeah. like some like Drake or something, just something like very calming. Oh. Yeah, something very calming. Okay, because I know, I know most people, especially in like our generation, they like to listen to like Kendrick Lamar, J Cole, A Boogie, people, Lil yeah. Wayne. People get them hyped up. Eminem, yeah. people like that. No, I like to get, I like to get that good vibe music. If I am listening to music game for games, but I'll be honest, nine times out of ten, I'm not really a big music guy. Um, okay. I just kind of chill out. I, I I'm very I'm very different. You know, I, I sit on my, I'll sit on my phone. I'll watch. I'll watch some TV. I'll watch some. I will literally focus for like like the hour, two hours before we start doing stuff for the game. I'll focus on everything but the game. Mm. Why? Yeah, that's good. Because I'm not trying to stress myself out for the game. I'm not trying to overthink it. We should be prepared. I shouldn't have it to be thinking about stuff before the game that that late behind. Now, again, when we start getting into warm ups, I'm starting to get like locked in. I'm starting to familiarize myself with stuff, but. That hour, two hours, three hours before the game, man, I'm trying to distance myself as far as I can from the game just because I'm, I'm trying to chill. I'm trying to be as, as mellow and as even footing as I possibly can because then I can kind of coach a little bit better. Whereas if I'm worrying and I'm nervous like that, then I'm a coach nervous and I never want to do that. Then you, then you do uncharacteristic things and you start making uncharacteristic calls and stuff like that. So That's a perfect way to put it, man. What are, what are some hobbies that you have outside of basketball? Uh, love playing video games. It's a very, um, thing I've done my whole entire life. Just kind of been able to calm me, get me out of, uh, certain stressful, um, moments and things that I'm doing just cause, you know, it's just, there's so much stuff going on in the world and just kind of being able to car- uh, compartmentalize things, just kind of get away from that for a little bit. It's very, it's very calming. Uh, I enjoy outdoor stuff, uh, just kind of. Well, I got a husky, so walking him, hiking, stuff like that. Uh, big movie guy. 
probably got like oh, I love got, movies, man. I got two two big uh racks, like like I guess like uh shelves, like two huge shelves that are just filled with movies. Uh, growing up I always would go and get like, you know, they don't really do it anymore. Sadly, yeah. but you know how they used to have like the five dollar Blu rays. Oh yeah. I used to go all the time and just get a ton of five dollar Blu rays. So I probably got like a hundred plus different movies and obviously, you know, you got your you got your subscription based stuff, but big, big movie guy. Oh, you got you got like racks of what, like CDs and like all that. Movies? Oh, I got. Oh, yeah, I got. Oh, you I got, got the probably, old school two thousand. I, I got. I got. I got regular DVDs. I got Blu-ray. Oh man, like, I got You're my Blu-ray. School. Oh yeah, I got my Blu-ray player. I mean, man, like that's how. That's a lot of the, how me and my dad have really had like our like connect time. You know, we we both love the movies. Well, and my thing is like, I, I, there is such thing as a bad movie, but yeah. like. Anyone can even enjoy a bad movie, you know? Um, So just my whole thing is if I haven't seen it before, most of the time I'll watch it just because it's like, why not? Um, So, yeah, I got got like a hundred plus Blu-ray and DVD combination of movies that I'll sit there and I can can go through if I'm trying to chill out and watch a movie and stuff. Man, that's dope. Man, I love movies too, man. I'm always down to watch a movie, like always – they're great. They're great. They're different. You get to, you get to see people's creativity put on display. Yeah. Some of the most artistic people are people in acting. Oh yeah, and directing and producing. Yeah. You know, just what? how they're able to do things. So it's very, it's very cool just to sit there and, and appreciate it. You know, and that's why I said there's not really there's bad movies, but like, you know, if you go, especially if you kind of know the movie's bad, you go into it, you're still gonna enjoy it. Like Sharknado is a terrible, you know, movie and. and Using the word terrible, but it's still entertaining. Oh, yeah. So, same thing with music. Like, some of the most artistic people you'll ever find. Oh, yeah. No, music, music's definitely one of the craziest uh, learning mediums in the world. Um, I've learned more from music than probably any other form of creativity, just listening to people. And then once you listen to people, then you kind of go and you research them outside. You kind of listen to them doing other stuff. And it's just crazy, especially, you know, some of the guys that kind of grew up that we grew up with. With Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Absol, like just Kid, Kid Cudi, um, that that kind of like philosophical rap um, genre is very, very big. Sean, those guys, you know, you listen to music and you actually listen to the lyrics. They're saying some crazy stuff in there. So, Nas, Nas, Jay Z, like, exactly. like they're speaking the truth in society exactly. and what's going on in the world. Exactly. Name your top five current NBA players. There's so much talent in the league now; it's insane. Nah, that's not that. That's not even it. That's tough because I don't really watch NBA. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm not a big NBA guy. I just I'm a very I'm a basketball purist. Like mm-hmm. I hate watching dudes constantly travel. I think the <laughs> gather, gather rule that they added this year or the past over year is terrible. Like I'm literally watching guys take two steps and then go into a jump step, and it's like, well, it's their gather. It's not like it, it's so bad yeah. to watch um <laughs> but you know i still kind of keep up with it um i'd probably go like i'm not this is definitely not like a skill ranking thing mm-hmm. this is kind of just like like enjoying watching them play yeah uh still love lebron love watching lebron what he's doing at his age is nuts it- yeah um, I, don't, I don't know how he's still doing it i really it's don't. funny because i was growing up i was a lebron hater 
Um, and now, oh, really? okay. yeah, oh yeah, I was a huge LeBron hater uh, growing up, and then kind of when he made when he came back to Miami, I kind of flipped my switch, and I kind of still, or sorry, when he came back to Cleveland, I kind of flipped my switch on him. So I'm kind of still, I, I kind of beat myself up about it because I always regret not being able to watch him as much as I should have watched him. Um, love watching Luca play. Oh, His things boss. he does is crazy. Uh, I love watching uh, John Morant play as well. The mm-hmm. thing that he does is nuts. Um, his ball control and his speed is just crazy. His um, aerial moves in the air is just – Oh, yeah. Man. And See, I'm a big – like if I had to pick a team for it was like my team. I'm from Orlando, so I, I love watching the Magic play. Obviously, they've, they haven't been very good the past 10 years or whatever, but I still watch them play. The Blanchero, their freshman they got this year – Bro, yeah. he's gonna be he's, he's gonna a be menace. I've watched he's going to be school. legit. Um, I mean he'll win he'll win rookie of the year this year, and oh, yeah. he's doing things that I haven't seen rookies do in a long time. And he's a solid six ten too. Um I think I got I think that was four. I gotta add one more in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. I don't really watch them too much, but on the few times I have watched them, I love watching um uh, Jason Tatum play. He's just oh, a very man. smooth player. Um, Silky smooth. He doesn't really do too much wrong. Um, I, I think I've only ever watched him play once where he's had, like, you know, quote, unquote, a bad game. Um, yep. But he's very, very smooth player, very um, poised in what he does. I love watching Clay Thompson before, but, you know, Clay Thompson, they just don't have – they don't have the, uh, I guess, the hype on them anymore. But I love watching yeah. how he played because he was just, like, he was a really smooth player. Um, but I'd probably say those are probably my five that I would, you know, enjoy watching or I'd kind of look at highlights and stuff of. Yeah, Jason Tatum, there's no wasted movement. Oh, no. Yeah, no, it, no. It's straight to the point. Like, yep. he is a bucket getter. He's not the- over dribbling. He's not under dribbling. He's getting to his spots and he's he's doing what he does a good job of. And he's he's a top, what? About four or five MVP candidate this year. Like, he oh is, yeah, I think he, I think he's, I think he'll probably finish in like, I think four. Four, yep. Because yeah. right now the top three are usually like Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. They're man, those three. Oh man. Yeah. What about what about all time? Name your top five all time. To watch or like who I think is like the best. Uh, you you can do you can do both. To watch probably. LeBron, Steve Nash. I like that. I like um, that. Probably Kobe. Yep, definitely. Tim Duncan. Yep, he's so underrated. And I'm not going to lie. I probably have to throw Luke in there too, man. Like, just being like, just, just watching him play is just so fun like he might not be like in the top five like of like my lifetime of being able to watch all time but like just the ability to watch him and watch what he does is crazy um top five all time i'm not we're not gonna get any too controversy stuff so i'm just gonna name them in in no order okay we'll leave it at that um probably got obviously jordan we'll throw that in there you know Mm -hmm. um Throw LeBron in there. Definitely. Throw Kobe in there. Mm. I, I really stay away from putting big men 
in my top five just because okay. yep. the reason for it, and I can never get this this um this thought out of my head whenever someone kind of I can't even remember if it was a video I saw or something, but it was basically like like putting big men in your top five is like putting um like for like like rich people's kids in your top five for most successful people. Like <laughs> they were born with height. Like I can't put Will in my top five when he's seven feet tall playing against guys that are six three. Mm-hmm. Like that that that's just not like thing. Same thing with kind of like Hakeem and guys like that. Like they're good. Don't get me wrong. Probably throw Larry in there in the top five. Very, okay. That's so nice. we got that's we got cool. Kobe. We got Jordan. We got Larry. We got um, LeBron. LeBron. <sighs> I think I know who you're gonna say next. See, part of me wants to go magic, but like I just don't know if magic was as versatile as some others. Uh, it's tough. Uh I realistically, I'm gonna be honest, I'd probably throw Tim in there. Oh, I like that. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, I mean he has the resume to be top five. He really does. And I don't really, I don't really see him as a big man. I see him more as a forward. Um, yeah, he's a power. Yeah, he's forward. like he's six ten or whatever. But like, what I mean, big man, I mean like you know your Shaqs, your Hakeem's, your Wills, your guys Kareem's. like that. Who did you who did you think that I was gonna put in there? Magic. See, I want to, but it's just I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't seen enough of him, and I haven't watched enough highlights of him. Yeah. Um, so I just got to kind of stay in my own lane. Uh, but. I'm going to tell you one thing, one person I always consider putting in there that's very, very underrated. Um, definitely Pistol Pete and Penny Hardaway are very, very Ooh. underrated players that kind of sneak under the radar, but because of their um, injuries or injuries and stuff, it's kind of hard to evaluate them. But like what those guys did in the, in the few years that they were there is nuts. Like... Pistol especially, Pete. Especially Pistol, bro. He was Oh my goodness. Different. He so. he he what Kyrie's doing now, Pistol was doing in the 70s. Oh yeah. Like, oh what? yeah. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. He was doing ridiculous Pistol things. That, and and again, he's doing that against guys that are working a nine to five. Yeah. <laughs> like like <laughs> he he was a wizard with the ball. Oh. It, it, I've uh, I've read a bunch of his stuff and kind of like looked at a bunch of stuff. I mean, he still he still holds the record, and not a lot, not a lot of people know this, but he still holds the record for most points ever for college basketball. Yep. No, no one's ever breaking that record. Not it was. I'm gonna say this. It came close. Chris, well, just being in the Big South, there's a guy, Chris Clemens, mm. oh, five yeah. seven, yep. five eight point guard. He finished out at number three. But again, you got to average thirty. I think you got to average like thirty-eight points a game playing thirty games. Uh, like it, it's crazy the amount of average. But yeah, Chris Clemens, I think averaged like almost thirty on his Cause, career. Because Pistol averaged like forty-four for his career. Yeah, but see, the thing with them is they didn't play as many games as we do now. Yeah, that's the thing. Yep. So now you kind of get you get a little you get like twelve or fifteen more games if you play all four years to kind of break it, but. Yeah, pistols up there with the Wayne Gretzky's. You know, they they just got they got records that are going to be there forever. Yeah, stand the test of time. <laughs> yeah. Damn, because my top five of all time is like LeBron, jo- no order. LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, Kareem, Magic. That's that's my top five. 
Josh. I mean, Kareem's my only big man in the top five because yeah, his resume is just ridiculous. Oh yeah, now his resume again. Their their resumes are nuts. Same thing with Shaq. Like their resumes are crazy. It's just it's tough for me. It's tough for me to put them there. Okay. They were they were born with things that not everyone else got. So like young Kareem could play in this era. Like this dude was was insane. Oh yeah. See that's the thing, man. I think everyone could play in every era. To be honest. Yep. Think you the, see the training, the proper sneakers, the technology we have oh, today. Yeah. Like, you got to be fair. That's what people don't realize. Yep. And they always try to discredit the past players, but there was a reason why they were great. If it was easy to be great, everybody would have been great. Oh, yeah. So, who would, you, who would be your all-time starting five? <sighs> Point guard, power, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. I, I always love always when I interview ball heads, I always love asking this question. They so I probably go hmm. I probably go Steve Nash at the one. Ooh, crazy, crazy pick. Like but I'm going like strictly I'm going with this team is like the purpose of this team is to win games. Yeah. Right. I'm not I'm not doing that like, you know, the best person at each position. I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna do the purpose of this team is to win games. I like this. I'm I'm going to go Kobe at the two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Jordan at the three. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to go Bird at the four. And then I'm going to go Shaq at the five. Not, not a bad starting five. Not a bad starting five. And, I, and that's just because I'm strictly going like – like, and that's tough. Like, I, I would consider – actually, now let me rephrase that. I would go Nash one, Jordan two, LeBron three, Bird four, Shaq five. Oh yeah, that's that's unbeatable. <laughs> Probably go to that. You you got your playmaker Nash, just for rebounds cool. and a little bit more passing with LeBron. Oh yeah, and, and who also can shoot in Steve Nash, who's your playmaker and oh like yeah, LeBron. Steve Nash is just setting everything up. Oh, like yeah. he's Steve Nash is cool with not shooting the ball the whole game, but if he's got something open, he's going to shoot it, and he's going to make it because he was an elite three point shooter for the yep. most part. Yep, Jordan's your assassin. LeBron's your your utility weapon, he can do it all. He's the best all-around player to ever play the game, period. And who's your power forward? Bird, right? Yep. Straight killer. Another yep. guy who we go in the clutch with. When Jordan's double-teamed or triple-teamed, you got another guy who's a cold-blooded assassin. And then Shaq, I mean, this guy sucked the whole defense in. There'll be two, three people on him in the paint. And I'm looking at, oh, Google Pictures, three grown men on him. He's just powering through. I'm just like, how is this humanly possible? Like what Shaq was doing was, we'll never, we'll never see another thing like it. Sheesh, yeah, no, that that fight would be deadly. Yeah, Shaq, Shaq made grown men sore at night. Like he, oh yeah, no. everything. I heard crazy stories about it. Like it's insane. Yeah, no, Shaq's Shaq definitely was a, a beast. Who, if you have to choose, who, who's your goat? Some great players, man. So many. Probably, probably LeBron. Oh, I like that. All-time yeah, scoring leader. Top five yeah. in assists all time. Probably LeBron. Just because, yeah, you're telling me best player, not best winner. Mm. People always use his uh, his rings and his records, stuff like that. But if we're going to use that, I mean, he's he went to the finals like A decade 30, straight. 14 straight years. It's insane. So, and... He's only ever been first rounded. I think he got first rounded first time ever this past year. 
or whenever like the other year. So again, it's yeah, probably it's tough. Definitely between him and Jordan, but I probably probably go LeBron just because he can do a little bit more than Jordan can. LeBron was in the finals at, from my fifth grade year every year to my senior year. Of high oh school. yeah, no, That's yes. he, that was, like, he like, literally was there every, every year. year, every year, and he was the best player on all those teams. Yeah, like people don't understand how hard that is to do. Yeah, to yeah. even get to one finals is hard. Yeah, that's why. That's why when people hate on LeBron, it's like he made. Yeah. He made his teams great, and what kind of has pushed him over the uh, the bound of Jordan for me is his last couple years. Because he's averaging twenty nine points a game right now, and then last year he averaged thirty. <laughs> like, and he's thirty eight. Like by that time, Jordan was like he was he was not. Like, Jordan was barely top. winning thirty games on the on the Hornets or the yeah. uh, they were called they were, whatever they were called the uh, back then they weren't the Hornets they were the the Bobcats back then, that's what they were. Man. Oh, no, nah, he was playing for the Wizards during those years. That's true. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But, but yeah, like, he was just, like, you know. We'll never see nothing like this again. I don't think – because this guy, LeBron, he's played heavy minutes throughout his whole career. Like, how is he still doing this? He played in Olympics, all that deep finals runs for years. And the fact that he's still doing this at 38, nobody in NBA history has ever done this. So – just got to give a shout out to him, man. Next question I have for you is, uh, what are some goals you have as a coach? You know, I've always wanted to coach Division One basketball um, at some level. Probably, I mean, head coach. It's crazy. One of, my, one of my goals that I had was become a college basketball head coach by 30. So mm-hmm. I, I got to that goal three years early. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not really a big – like I, I want to coach D one basketball, right? But that that's really my main my main goal, and everything else is just kind of I'm just here to coach, man. I just wanted to be a college basketball coach, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. So now it's just kind of working my way up and doing things. I, I obviously success is going to come with that, but you know I'm not really out here for the personal accolades, so to say. I don't I don't really want all of that. Um, I just want to be able to do what I love to do and just continue doing it just because it's like my me and my dad had a long conversation. You want to do something for a long time, make sure you enjoy doing it. So I'm just glad I'm doing something I enjoy because you you wake up for work and you're never moaning and groaning. You're not complaining about things. You know, you're just happy to be there. So, yeah, you you never want to do something for your whole life that you're miserable doing because then it's a suck in the joy of your life. Yeah, exactly. If there's one thing you could tell someone trying to get into coaching, what's some piece of advice you would get give them? Start out early. Mm. Get do your dirty work early. Um, this has always been my thing. You know, at, life is precious. The older you get, the more responsibilities you're going to get. Do your dirty work early. If you want to coach college basketball, you're going to have to give up things, right? You're going to have to give up luxuries. You're going to have to probably stay. You're going to have to get another job. You know, you're going to have to do grindy stuff to get to where you're at. And it's it's rewarding, but not everyone does it. Not everyone likes to do it. So do the dirty work early. That, that's some great advice right there. And last question I always like to end with and always ask my guests on the show. When people think of the name Corey Sloan, legacy to be? 
Um, Great way to end the. Yeah, uh, just you know that at the end of the day, I was always myself, mm. and that that's how that's how it should be, right? Don't let other people affect what you do at any level, no matter what it is, right? You always want to put yourself in a position where, like, you you are happy and you are doing what you want to do. We've gotten to the point where, you know, selfishness is kind of frowned upon, but everyone needs to be selfish in some regard. And, and you can't you can't do what others want you to do. You can't, you know, you have to sometimes do what some people say, but at the end of the day, you got to kind of keep it congruent to what you're doing. So that's just kind of what I always want to go out with is, you know, hey, like this this dude did what he wanted to do. And, and I kind of get that all the time with people that I know is, man, you're doing it. Like, how are you doing this right now? You're just doing you're doing exactly what you said you were going to do. You, you're coaching college basketball. You're doing this. And, you know, it, it just so happens that I'm blessed to be being successful. But again, it's basketball. It's sports, man. You're not always going to be successful. You're going to have your ups and downs. But you got to at least stay true to yourself. So that's kind of how I want to go out is just that I, I did what I want to do on my own regard, not anyone else's. I chose my own path. And man, you're doing a great job, man. Because your resume speaks for itself. <laughs> but like, and you're and you're only 27. Like you have a long way to go. And you could coach because yeah. coaches they have a long lifespan. If you're lucky, if you're if you're good, and you know what you're doing, you can coach to your 60s, 70s if you're lucky. Oh right? yeah, oh yeah. You have you can have a whole career ahead of you. And right now you're doing an amazing job. Yep. And and then what's it called? Yeah, like yeah, with life you could take advice from people, but at the end of the day. It is your life. Like you're yep. in control of it. You gotta go get and do what you want to do with your life and make the most of it. Exactly. Yep. But man, this has been a great interview, man. I I really do appreciate you coming onto the show. Like you're my first ever coach I've ever interviewed. So this one, I was a little nervous coming into the show, <laughs> but it's all you're, good. You're, I I was like, damn, he answered my questions way more in depth detail than I even thought he was gonna do, which I'm really appreciative for, man. Yeah, you're lucky. You're lucky you, for your first one. You got someone that likes to talk. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't really have all the time in the world, so it was just I was glad we could find finally find some time where I was able to come on and share my stuff with you. Oh yeah, and I, I didn't even know like your shoulder. I was like that 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 stood out to me. I was like wow, like I never met anybody like that. <laughs> hey, like I said, man, when that doctor told me, he said like with a straight face, like point zero 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 two percent or something crazy like that. And again, like I, I've still to this day, I've met thousands of people, and I've never met someone that has the same issue that I do. So that's maybe at, maybe at some point I'll get surgery on it, but bro, it's that thirteenth, fourteenth month recovery, no way. Yeah, that's and right now you're coaching. Place my shoulder. I'm chilling. I ain't got I got to use it that much. Yeah, exactly. But man, it's been great. I, I can count on you to shout it out on all your personal social media accounts and also the teens, right? Yeah, I got you. I'm not a big social media person, but I'll do my best. Oh yeah, and tell your tell your players, tell your staff, spread the word to your family, friends. Yeah, my whatever. family, my family will be all over it. Okay. Um, I'll spread it as much as I can. Like I said, I, I'm a big Twitter person, but that's literally the only social media I use. You got so lucky that I re-downloaded my Instagram just for the <laughs> basketball season, bro. When I tell you, I have. 20 20 30 like i have so many dms that i just don't respond to on instagram because i don't use instagram like that yeah. so like 
yeah, I'm just not really a big social media person. But like I said, I'll do my best uh, yeah. whenever I can, right? I'm, I, I, I got stuff that I got to do. But like I said, if I see it, I'll share it and stuff like that. And I'll, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll do that. So I'm sure... I'm sure at least some of my guys that are podcast guys will want to listen to me talk. You know, some of my players, they hear me talk all the damn time, so they probably won't even want to, want, want to listen to me talk more. Right, <laughs> <laughs> like, I hear enough of you in practice every day. Oh, yeah. Oh, they give me a hard time as it is. I I, I don't shut up, as you can tell. So, they, yeah. they get an earful at practice, so. Yeah. So, yeah, man, just shout it out on your socials, wherever you got. Tell the team's account as well on Twitter, wherever you guys have as a – Clinton College Golden Bears team on Twitter, Instagram, shout it out. Tell your players, shout it out, friends, family. And it's been a great episode, man. I really appreciate yeah, I you. it. Yeah, no problem, man. Have a great one, man. Yep. Peace. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for the interview. I hope you guys really enjoyed that interview and the episode. As we really got into it, like I said, the only thing that really stood out to me is how he could pop his shoulder in and out. I'm like, oh man, it's like jello. It's like, oh man, like how how's that possible? And he didn't feel really any pain. He said he felt a pinch, but he said he could still do it to this day. That's what really stood out to me. How he played AAU, all that stuff, and his journey into becoming a coach. And he's only 27, and he's doing really well for himself right now. He has a great resume, and he's only continuing to elevate into the higher ranks as he continues to go along his journey. But yeah, it was great having Corey on the show. I really appreciate him taking time out of his busy, busy schedule because I know he's really busy. So it's the third time. It took me three times to try to get him on the show because I know he had a very busy schedule as a head coach, especially in March now with the tournament coming. So this is the busiest time for college coaches. But yeah, I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. This was a special edition of the DJ Sports Show. Make sure you guys continue to listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Shout out to your friends, family members, coworkers, whoever loves sports. And continue to check out djsportshow.com where I write about and talk about all things sports. Check out my merch. I got a One by Yama video coming out soon that I've been working on since October and I can't wait for you guys to see it. I'm going to release it on my YouTube trying to get better at video editing and just continue to shout out the website and the platform and the podcast. Leave five stars on the podcast. Continue to subscribe to the website and hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's been your host, DJ Hamilton. I'll see y'all next time. Peace.